0: Welcome to the Dermatology Podcast, the official podcast of the European Academy of Dermatology and Venereology. I'm Christopher Horskamp.
1: And I'm Citi Lomitoire.
0: And we are your hosts. Today, our very own Professor Mirto Tracatelli will share her experience with resident, student, and colleague, Dr. Stella Sisko.
2: In the beginning, we were known as the people with the white because we were moving around with our white coats and our dermatoscopes in the hands, like the James Bond of uh, of skin cancer, Um, have a license to examine, not to kill, of course.
1: But before we get into that, did you know that the EADV offers free webcasts every other Wednesday at 2 p.m.? To see what's coming up next, go to eadv.org under education. Members save the added benefit of watching them on demand later and download certificate of attendance. And speaking of…
0: If you're not an EADV member, have you thought about becoming one? Benefit from access to on-demand webcasts, online courses, 19 medical journals including EADV's esteemed JEADV, over 20 textbooks, reduced fees for congresses and symposia, and much, much more. Just go to eadv.org under membership for more information. And now, Professor Mirto Tracatelli has been a frequent voice on the Dermatology Podcast. Today, she'll be interviewed by Dr. Stella Sisco as they discuss, among other things, advocacy, Europe's beating cancer plan, and a very important position paper about the evolving field of dermato-oncology and the role of dermatologists. Let's hand it over to them.
1: Hello, and uh, welcome to today's EADV podcast. My name is Stella Sisko. Actually, my birth name is Tiliani, but people call me Stella. I am a dermatology resident located in Thessaloniki, Greece, and I'm super excited about today's podcast as I will be joined by a very special person to me. Uh, she's one of my professors. Um, actually, I consider her a mentor and she's a very, very close long-time friend. Um, Her name is Mirdoglio Gia Tragatelli. She was um, the past chair of the Education Committee. I'm actually a junior co-opted member of the Education Committee too, Um, but she has recently gained a new very important role as the chair of the EADV Advocacy Working Group
2: So, hello, Mouton, and congratulations on your new role. Thank you. I was planning to quietly retire and get some rest, but I don't think EADV is going to let me do that. Mm -hmm. But to be honest, maybe I don't even want it.
1: I don't see it happening anytime soon. So, keep up the good uh, work and have patience. Um, So, uh, would you like to share some information about your new role? What is this working group actually
2: all about? Uh, So, this is a working group that is trying to advocate and support uh, the field of dermatology and our patients um, in the European institutions, in the Parliament, in the Commission, and also we are trying to actually to everyone, if I, if I have to be honest, because we're trying to help position correctly uh, our specialty and our science, dermatovenerology, um, in the place it, de- it deserves, which is that we are the experts of skin and venereal diseases, and we have to have a say in everything that concerns this area.
1: So, not only we share the same passions for uh, skin oncology, skin surgery, but for public health as well, right? Absolutely. Okay. So, I've known you for a long time. We met in 2009, I think. Is that correct? Well, I guess so. It's been such
2: a long time that I'm not sure about the year, but it's been ages. Yes. Yeah.
1: I had just finished uh, medical school. You had just given birth to your daughter. Right? Yes, my daughter was uh, 2009, she was one year old. Okay. When you invited me actually to participate in the Epiderm, uh, very, very amazing uh, initiative. Uh, the Epiderm stands for the European Prevention Initiative for the Dermatological Malignancies. Um, it was funded, I think, by the European Commission. Uh, it was a huge thing back then. Uh,
2: nine countries were involved. Uh, could you let us know more about the epiderm? Well, it was indeed funded by the uh, EU Public Health Programme at the time, and it was indeed um, a great experience. There were nine countries there, uh, and we had dermatologists, and also we had registries from some countries participating, and we published quite a lot of articles in many areas that are still being discussed on oncology. Uh, so just to name a few, we just pinpointed the difference between registering skin cancer in a a registry, the official, let's say, registration versus the true registration because uh, a lot of cancers do not get registered. So we were comparing what is happening in the hospital in the registry and we found that a lot of these carcinomas are Mm under-registered. And we're still discussing this issue as you will uh, see in the paper that we're going to be discussing and as uh, you will see in uh, in the points we want to make to the EU uh, policy makers. We also saw that the patient's journey is not the same in different countries, that there are different health systems, and therefore this impacts the way the patient is um, being diagnosed and treated for skin cancer. I'm just naming a, a couple of papers. Oh, I remember this paper. You really gave me a hard time about a, a particular
1: table. Do you remember that? <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do. But uh, great results did come out. And I think we're all very, very, very
2: um, happy that this initiative took place in Europe. Absolutely. And to be honest, we were not imagining that all this data would be used again later because. Um, Like some years after we had published the first batch of our papers, um, we came back to this database and we looked into outdoor workers because there was this big issue about skin cancer in outdoor workers and there was a whole situation trying to prove if there is a high risk in people working outdoors. And just using this data, that we had a huge database and quite a lot of outdoor workers, we compared indoor and outdoor workers and we found that indeed, there is a high risk for squam cell carcinoma, for AK, and for basal cell carcinoma for these people. And it was something that actually helped provide uh, this info and also do some uh, advocacy on this subject. Very important subject in my mind. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's jump to
1: present. So I recently came across uh, to a paper that... Uh, Your name is in the author list, Um, a lot of important names are also in there. Um, So the paper is actually a position statement uh, that was published in the Journal of EADV in August uh, 2020. And the title is The Evolving Field of Dermatoncology and the Role of Dermatologists, um, position paper of the EADO, EADV and Task Forces, EDF, IDS, EBDV, UEMS, and ERTC cutaneous lymphoma task force, so a joint statement, actually. Um, So I would like you, um, I would like a very senior comment, that's you, on a very junior's notes. So
2: shall we jump to the paper? Yes, and I have to congratulate you for being able to read this title with all these uh, abbreviations and all these uh, EADO, EADV, uh, BBC, uh, DDT or whatever. <laughs> but it was quite impressive, I might oh. say. So let's let's dig into it.
1: Thanks, Mojita. You give me an A in reading. Perfect. So um, my first point uh, would be about the skin cancer incidence that uh, we see an increase in Uh, So, you state that the strong increase in the incidence of melanoma and other skin cancers enhanced by increased life expectancy and population ageing along the introduction of in vivo diagnostic tools is a reality. But also, uh, you state that the mortality has reached a plateau. So, indeed, we see an increase, but the good news is that mortality is not rising.
2: So, Well, actually, if I might comment on that, I think we are facing, if I might say, a cancer epidemic. And I know that we are going in, We are now currently facing another type of epidemic, a virus epidemic. So the word, word epidemic uh, uh, is uh, ringing a lot of bells in everybody's mind right now. But to be honest, uh, skin cancer, this rise in incidence, is actually termed as, a, as an epidemic because if we go back into the 1950s and we look into the incidence of melanoma and keratinocyte cancers, uh, they were roughly one and five cases per 100,000 um, people, uh, respectively. Whereas when we go into Germany, for example, that has recorded it and, and looked at it in 2010, These were 25 and 250 cases per Mm -hmm. 100,000 inhibitants. And they have also done some uh, algorithms and uh, projective thinking and they are expecting in 2030 to have 45 and 400 cases which we are talking about a huge increase, like it's estimated over a period of 80 years that the incidence of melanoma will increase 45-fold and that of, of keratinocyte carcinomas, 80fold This is a huge increase, and, and, and it is indeed an epidemic. We have a lot, a lot of cases.
1: Oh, well, the numbers are are extremely high, and so we will. Uh, you have predicted that we will see uh, a huge increase in the burden of disease and of course that will have implications also to the uh, the
2: economic, the financial burden, yes? Yes, absolutely. It does already actually, you know, in the U.S. in 2011, they spent uh, 4.8 billion on um, uh, basal cell carcinoma and squamous cell carcinoma. And they calculated that it is the fifth most costly cancer in Medicare. So. This is big numbers, and it's actually, I mean, it's logical. You have a lot of cases. Maybe people are not being dead. There's not such high mortality of carcinomas, but the numbers are staggering, and there is quite important morbidity, and usually uh, people don't just have one. So it's not just uh, the case of the morbidity per se, but also the quality of life of the person and perhaps an impact in his uh, in his work and other things that maybe the calculation would be even bigger and not just the numbers we are seeing by the medical bills, but even things that we cannot actually evaluate truly.
1: Mm-hmm. And uh, let's move to screening. Uh, so, what is your own opinion on general public screening versus targeted screening? Uh, what do you think it will be more effective
2: in, in this field well, I I like this question because it's been a big debate, and actually, you know, we have in Europe uh, uh, this uh, directive that is talking about screening, and they are actually le- recommending screening for breast cancer, for colon cancer, and for cervical cancer, and dermatological cancers, skin cancers are not included, and we are actually trying to change this. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm glad of your question because to be honest there has been just one place where they did a a massive population screening it was in germany in 2008 and they found that uh, it actually contributed to earlier detection and treatment of skin cancer when they did this program it didn't really clearly prove to reduce melanoma mortality but it did prove that they were diagnosing cancers earlier so I was wondering, and I I think a lot of scientists in the field are wondering if we could have a shift and do better targeted screening towards high risk groups, including, for example, men over 60 years old that we know they're the ones that are dying from melanoma or immunosuppressed patients like uh, organ transplant recipients that we know have a lot of squam cell carcinomas that are even killer in these patients, or even uh, socioeconomically less privileged individuals that have less health literacy and will arrive with monstrous uh, cancers. Perhaps if we target these high risk groups and if we did it in a concerted way with a political backing behind and we could study this, maybe then we could actually show the value of prevention. I'm sure there is value in doing this kind of screening. And I think this is something that the EU, since they are revising the cancer, they have this new cancer beating plan, that they should do something about that. They should invest money. It's actually investing, it's not spending. And you know, uh, on what you're saying, I recently
1: also heard a lovely podcast i think it's episode 39 uh from dr sarah walsh and professor horace tiani uh life on the ocean wave i think it's called and oh this guy had this this guy he has he's a very well-known guy but he has this amazing idea to do a screening on a yachting club i think brilliant and then i heard dr sarah Walsh uh saying that she's doing every year a charity on her tennis club uh screening people that uh play tennis because they're sun exposed individuals so i thought it's
2: that's also targeted screening and i thought wow brilliant and it's again a high-risk group uh if you consider for example their hobbies it's yes. like targeting outdoor workers as well, for this kind of screening, so obviously it has some logic behind it, exactly.
1: Exactly. Um, but do you think it's only the screening part that uh, we need uh, to enhance, or is it also the recording that we also need to consider? I mean, registries do we have enough registries?
2: This is this is. Um this is a shame because uh, to be honest in europe even for melanoma even for melanoma not all countries register melanoma and and melanoma we know is is a killer so but we do not register the other cancers the other carcinoma separately you know everything goes in one basket and they, they even the name non-melanoma skin cancer is disgraceful it's like i'm calling you a non mirto and i'm a non-stella i mean and non-name is not a name so they're putting all these cancers together in a basket and they are recording just the first that the patient has if the patient has 30 they just record one some of them are not recorded Uh, a lot of registries do not record them they're just regional registries and even you know merkel cell carcinoma that is it's also a killer is in the same basket so they put everything together so how can you find the way without the compass. Yeah. We do not have a compass. How can you map and do a strategy when you do not know what's going on? So it's the first step. Absolutely. You have to have registration and even find a way to do it in a homogeneous way. across Exactly.
1: So uh, I totally, I'm on the same boat with you. Um, we, I think we also, it is very, very important that we try to also eliminate discrepancies between countries. So we have to record these cases, but in a unified way. Uh, that's at least my opinion. And also, I think, and I also think that you mentioned this in this uh, paper that we have to ensure that guidelines are followed uh, in a homogeneous way. So you um, mentioned in the paper the need for SOPs and
2: quality assurance. Correct. It's 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 very important because. Uh, quality assurance relates to everything, to diagnostic therapeutic procedures across the whole continuum of management. So you have to have a rapid and easy access for early diagnosis. You have to use appropriate diagnostic methods. You have to do standardized biopsies and excisional procedures. You have to use um, follow-up in a a standard way with digital techniques. Uh, You have to have very good and complete and standardizes reports, appropriate risk classification and staging, and, of course, appropriate medical management, treatment and follow-up, and access to the same drugs all over Europe. I mean, you cannot have in half the countries the cutting-edge technology and the other countries being the poor relative. You have to have equality in these things, and this is, I think, the role... Uh, of course, of the politicians, but also of, of, of us EADV people to support our colleagues in the other countries so that they can support their patients. You also,
1: you just said something uh, that we need to ensure rapid access, timely access. Um, COVID-19, the pandemic, I think it has had a huge impact on uh, the People on the patients uh, with skin, scan, skin cancer and their, uh, and their access to dermatologists. Uh, how can this be uh, sorted? How can we prepare for a new uh, pandemic, for a situation like this again? Do we need funds for telemedicine? Uh, do we need uh, to educate patients for self-surveillance and self-examinations?
2: I mean, we have a lot of things, a lot of parts where we can play a role. So, first of all, self-surveillance and self-examination is very, very important because you have to teach, you have to teach the patient, the cancer patient, when that's why it's important that they see somebody who knows the disease and who can give them the correct advice but it's very important to teach them so that they can examine themselves and be alert to what they need to pay attention to so this is like the basics you have to have this but furthermore i think it's important to have easy access and there are some countries in europe that they have gatekeepers so patients cannot go directly to dermatology they would go to the gp first so you need to train all the appropriate and involved people in this in this matter because it's very important that everybody has correct training. And furthermore, what you said about funds, well, funds is important. And I know they're giving a lot of money for artificial intelligence. That is something that we hope to play a vital role in diagnosing and facilitating diagnosis of skin cancer in the future. But I think this is just one part of the problem money. The other part is Uh, It's laws, it's legislation, and for example, during COVID in Greece, we saw some horrible cases. The monsters were coming in after uh, the the consultations were back open like five, six, seven, eight months, people were scared to come. And we did not have the possibility to examine photos because in Greece, it's illegal to give medical advice Mm -hmm. from a photo. Whereas in Spain, where they have telemedicine, and they have the structure for it, a lot of people were facilitated. So I think there needs a central legislation. It's not just money, it's a decision that this is part of our future. Telemedicine is a part of our future. Mm -hmm.
1: And then we move on to multidisciplinary skin tumour centres. So the patient-based approach. I think this is very, very important uh, because every patient is unique. Uh, We have a lot of uh, tools and a lot of treatments on our hands. Um, So it is a very good proposition, but how are we going to be able to overcome again, the differences in healthcare system legislations and the problems that we face in some countries, at least with other specialties?
2: So I feel that we shouldn't be looking into other specialties as competitors. We should be looking at them as partners. Uh, we should be all working together for the, the better care of our patients. And there is, we know that in Europe we have three models. We have a model where there is an integrated dermato-oncology, especially in France and in Germany, that the dermatology specialized centers do everything for the patients. Then we have some countries where the dermatologists do the diagnostic diagnosis and the surgery, but the systemic therapy is done by oncologists or by some dermatologists. And then some other countries, diagnosis is by dermatologists, surgeries by surgeons or plastics, and systemic ther- therapies by medical oncologists. So there's so many different patterns in Europe, but I think the multidisciplinary treatment, whoever is doing whichever part, could happen. You just need to put all, all these people together and discuss and and find the best solution for the patient. And I know the patient would be, uh, it, it, it is a preference that they just go in one center and everything happens there and they have the feeling that there's a good management and a good coordination. Of course, there should be one person managing and overlooking the, the whole thing. And I think. In my, in my view, this patient, this person should be a, a dermatologist because we are the most informed about the natural course and particularities of skin tumors. We have already experienced in the diagnosis and the local and uh, surgical or non-surgical treatment of uh, skin cancers, And we do the follow-up. So we are there in all the stages. So we, are, we can be the maestro of the orchestra, but you cannot have music without the violin and the piano, and so everybody's needed. And that's why I'm saying it's, it's not a competition, but it's a synergy. So I think this is something that we have to work on. And, and, as, and as AADV, I think we are planning to try and collaborate with other medical associations of other specialties to be able and, and you know, work together and fight uh, our common enemy, which is skin cancer. And of course, this uh, requires proper training. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Um, so,
1: okay, this is the role of the dermatology when treating, when um, diagnosing, when treating, when handling uh, skin cancer patients. But what is the role of the dermatologist uh, in patient advocacy and public health campaigns in skin cancer? do you think that we
2: dermatologists as a specialty will gain something from this well it's not a personal gain you know it's not i'm gonna immediately see a difference in my private practice if there is advocacy but in the long run it will benefit the the name of dermatology and venerology so as i said in the beginning we're going to clearly establish our positions as experts in this field So it's very important to engage dialogues with um, policymakers and also with the general public because I'm not sure in all countries the role of dermatologists is clear. And we have been doing a lot of stuff, you know, already from 2007, EADV with euromelanoma, with European cancer links, with members against cancer um we started the dialogue and held press conferences in the EU parliament and we actually went into the offices of the meps and examined their skin and their assistants oh. and by the way we did find we found melanoma not just squamous cell and, and basal cell but we found two melanomas Uh, in the parliament. So
1: did did you go with notice or without notice? Did you just open the doors and uh, went into the office, get off your clothes, now I need to examine you? No, No, absolutely (laughs) not.
2: Absolutely not. It would have been fun though to do this in candid camera. Uh, But no, uh, what we did is that we uh, invited people if they wanted to have the screening and we uh, booked appointments. And so the people chose the time and they... Chose if they want to get their skin examined and we also engaged them in a discussion explaining some things about skin cancer it was a good opportunity to you know teach them educate mm-hmm. them a bit mm-hmm. uh, and uh to be honest you know afterwards with the epiderm that you mentioned in the in the beginning uh we also uh, did another uh, screening together with the adv so it's been going on for many years now and we in the beginning, we were known as the people with the white because we were moving around with our white coats and our dermatoscopes in the hands, like the James Bond of uh, of skin cancer. Um, have a license to examine, not to kill, of course. And then uh, it was, I think, quite interesting because we developed some partnerships with uh, some of the MEPs. And what they did was they addressed questions to the European Commission about skin cancer. So there was one saying. Um, are these cancers registered Mm. you know the registry thing or how is the prevention what do you think about prevention in this field because it's so easy they saw how easy it is to examine you know it's just there. skin is there you don't need to have expensive equipment and it's not a complicated procedure such as colonoscopy you just have to address the patient and examine him and you know uh, so they they started asking questions to the commission so it's a partnership building And this is important if we want not just to place ourselves in in the position we deserve, which is the scientific experts in this field, but also to support our patients, because as we've been talking in all this discussion, there are all these issues going on and this inequality um, of patients across Europe that we might be able to to, to support and to dissolve if we do this advocacy. Mm So, closing, I would like to
1: ask one very, very important question. What does the future hold? And
2: what are your aims as the new chair? Ah, it sounds very, very important uh, and uh, very heavy to, to answer to this question. And, well, it's, I think it's not my vision. I think this is the EADV's vision. And I have to say that Professor Alex Tratigos, who is our current uh, president, was actually the instigator of this group. I really have to acknowledge the the work he's done on this because he's really put at focus in the agenda of EDV, mm-hmm. highlighting the importance. And actually we just jumped on this train on the right moment because uh, the commission just published in September, like now in this year, the cancer beating plan. And so we had the opportunity to discuss with MEPs and put some amendments about uh, things that concern us on skin cancer. And we are trying to go into four pillars that we are feeling that are important for us, which is prevention. And we want to improve melanoma and keratinocyte prevention through concrete policy measures, including education and awareness raising about the risk factors. We want to support early detection and we want to develop European wide screening strategies for effective targeting of these high-risk groups that we were discussing before. We want to improve and optimize treatment, and we want to ensure fair access to standard and innovative high-quality treatment for skin cancer patients. We want to ensure cross-border collaboration among member states and be sure that there are no health inequalities. And last but not least, the follow-up care. We want to ensure optimal follow-up care And support the skin cancer survivors because these people have to be integrated again in in social and professional uh, areas and we want to support them go back into normal so we we want all these things these are the visions uh, and the position uh, of eadv on the europe beating cancer plan and we are launching this fight we have partners in the parliament and we have a lot of key stakeholders that are supporting us. AADO is uh, working with us, um, EDF is working with us, the patient group, the Global Skin, is working with us, and different stakeholders uh, in, in Europe, like the European Cancer League, the European Cancer Patient Coalition, all these people are working hand-in-hand with us. We hope that SEDV, we will be able to help them and help our patients and move forward. And, you know, it's very ambitious. It sounds very ambitious, but I think if we manage some of that, we have already gained half of the battle.
1: Okay, and on that note, thank you very, very much for your wonderful insight. The more I know you, the more I love you, (laughs) and I will see you tomorrow in clinic. Yes, and be prepared because I think it's gonna be a very heavy working day (laughs) as usual. And thanks to all of you for listening.
2: Goodbye. Bye.
0: For our listeners out there, you may know Professor Tracatelli and Dr. Cisco from EADV webcasts, which come from their work on the EADV School Committee. As you heard today, Professor Tracatelli has just ended her term as the chair of the EADV School Committee and will now focus on the very important work leading the EADV Advocacy Working Group. We wish her luck. And thank both of our guests for sharing their experience and knowledge with us today.
1: The research discussed can be found in the Journal of the European Academy of Dermatology and Mineralogy. Though you can find free access and open access articles, EADV members benefit greatly by having access to all articles and content.
0: We would like to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure you follow us on Spotify or subscribe on Apple Podcasts to make sure you get the newest episodes delivered right to you. We appreciate you joining us and look forward to presenting more interviews, research, and other topics of merit. Until the next episode,
1: take care of your skin.